Leviticus chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, if you're wondering, wait, what about communion? We'll, we'll come to that. We're going to get to that a little later on. Leviticus chapter 3, verse 1 begins, Now if his offering is a sacrifice of peace offerings... If he's going to offer out of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without defect before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and slay it at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood around on the altar. And from the sacrifice of the peace offerings, he shall present an offering by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. And then Aaron's sons shall offer it up in smoke on the altar, on the burnt offering, which is on the wood that is on the fire. It is an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. But if his offering for a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord is from the flock, he shall offer it, male or female, without defect. If he's going to offer a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and slay it before the tent of meeting, and Aaron's sons shall sprinkle its blood around on the altar. From the sacrifice of peace offerings, he shall bring as an offering by fire to the Lord its fat, the entire fat tail which he shall remove close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins, and the lobe of the liver which he shall remove with the kidneys." And then the priest shall offer up in smoke on the altar as food an offering by fire to the Lord. Moreover, if his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on its head and slay it before the tent of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood around on the altar. And from it he shall present his offering as an offering by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall offer them up in smoke on the altar food and offering by fire for a soothing aroma. All fat is the Lord's. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all your dwellings, you shall not eat any fat or any blood. To just love the relevance of the scriptures. I say that a little sarcastically because even as you read it, you go, okay. All right, we see that this is what they were told to do. Understand that it's part of the law. It has to do with yet another offering, but all of a sudden, the fat and the lobe of the liver and the kidneys and, and he has, repeats it multiple times and takes us through this, this offering and why is this different than the others and how, how does this apply to where we are on election weekend 2020? <laughs> I have one word for you this morning. Peace. Peace. Peace, while the world is spinning in turmoil and fear and rage and distress, the word we need is peace. After all, 91 million Americans have already voted peace. In an APA survey, 68% of Americans said they are significantly stressed over Tuesday's election. And that is up 14% from the 2016 election. It's not getting better. Peace. Listen, be concerned. Absolutely get out and vote the Bible. 
vote the policies that are in line with the Bible. If we vote personality, we might as well be voting American Idol. We are not looking for an idol, okay? Vote the Bible. But whether you're just biding your time or hoping the Trump will sound. <laughs> I, couldn't have, I couldn't resist. I mean, come on, it's too perfect. The word of the day is peace. Peace, no president will bring it. Only Messiah. In fact, we're told in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called, and note this, wonderful, counselor, mighty, God, eternal, father, prince, peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. I'm so excited right now, unless God does otherwise, my plan is we're gonna study that over Christmas. We're gonna go to Isaiah chapter nine. It's been a little bit of time there, Christmas even right around the Christmas time, the Christmas season. It's one of my favorite passages to look at there. And we'll think that through. But I want to give you a heads up right now about Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. We always think of that in terms of adjective and noun. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. Listen, they're all nouns. They are all nouns in the Hebrew. His name is wonderful. His name is counselor. His name is mighty. His name is God. His name is eternal. His name is Father. His name is Prince. His name is peace. It all describes him. Jesus, who said, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. In the same teaching, Jesus said, John 16, 33, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. The Hebrew pastor says in Hebrews 13, verse 20, now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. And that's it, the key to peace is the blood of the eternal covenant. You lost me at Leviticus, he found me in the blood. It's not just a little catchphrase for this teaching series. The blood of the eternal covenant is how we come to the God of peace and how we receive peace, how we live and walk in peace, regardless of the times in which we live, which are not peaceful times. Let's just call it what it is. Times of turmoil, times of worry, times of fear, times of stress, times of, of, of dissatisfaction, mistrust. In any times, he is our peace. Now, in the opening seven chapters of Leviticus, Blood we see spilling all over the page in the sacrifices. It's a very bloody book, as I've called it. 
We see in the sacrifice of the burnt offering and the sin offering and the guilt offering, blood everywhere. Even the grain offering, which speaks of the bread of life, is broken. And so as we talked about midweek, all the offerings are cameos of the Christ. Five offerings, each one a picture of Jesus Christ. Each one pointing ahead, prophetically as it were, of the coming Messiah who would reflect all of the nuances of these sacrifices. But one sacrifice we just skipped by, we set aside, I wanted to save for this morning, and it's the third offering. Sitting right there in the middle of the five sacrifices is the sacrifice of Shelomim in the Hebrew. Shelomim, which is the peace offering. The peace offering, Shelomim. I think it's in the middle because at the heart of all the offerings, God is offering peace. We begin with blood, we end with blood. In the middle is the peace. That's God's heart for you, for me, that we would have peace. Now, you're probably familiar with the Hebrew word for peace, shalom, right? Which shalom isn't just about peace, dude. It's not like shalom, man. It's about satisfaction, In the Hebrew mindset, to have shalom is literally to have wholeness of mind, heart, and body. It's it's to have well-being, completeness of life. That's, That's peace when all things are working together and it's all good, you have shalom. Now, the peace offering draws its name from another Hebrew word that is very closely tied to shalom, and that is shalem. And not just tied to it in the way it sounds, but shalem speaks of an alliance of peace, a harmonious relationship, a composed communion. The peace offering is an offering of a relationship in peace, of one coming to another and the two together sharing in peace. And listen to this. The difference between the peace offering and all the other animal sacrifices that are among these offerings is the peace offering is the only one that did not result in atonement. In fact, the peace offering responded to atonement. The rest are about atonement. The rest are about covering. They're they're dealing with sin. They're helping the, the sinful person to be covered from that sin so that they can have a relationship with God. The peace offering is all about that relationship. It's thank you, Lord. It's recognizing and responding to the fact that you have already been atoned for. By the way, the grain offering wasn't for atonement either. It was for worship. So you have three of the five offerings that are all about atonement. You have the grain offering, that's about worship. And then you have the peace offering, and the peace offering was given by the offerer in response to redemption. Coming to the Lord because you have been atoned for. Baruch Levine, a Jewish scholar, said the term shalomim has puzzled commentators since antiquity. It can mean that that which pertains to peace, as in shalom. It can mean a reaffirmation of covenant. It can mean a shared offering or, or a tribute or gift of greeting. It was offered to God when one came before him to greet him at a sacred meal. 
Now, all those things that Levine talks about, they all indicate peace. And honestly, to my simple way of thinking, biblically speaking, this is not hard to discern what the peace offering was about. It's also called the thank offering or the peace offering of thanksgiving or the free will offering. It's an offering that starts in the heart and results in the actions. Psalm 116, verse 16 Oh, Lord, surely I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You have loosed my bonds. To you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord, the peace offering. Or Psalm 56, verse 11, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Your vows are upon me, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Thank you, Lord. And so as we hear it described, the thank offering, the peace offering, Shalomim, was for coming to share in thankful fellowship at peace with God, recognizing the blood that was spilt for atonement that obtained that peace that harmonious relationship. Isaiah gave what I consider to be a stunning description for our reason today to respond with thanksgiving, why we come to the Father and worship, why we have peace with God, why we bring a thankful fellowship. Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, verse five, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And listen to this, the chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourgings we are healed. I don't know about you, but when I hear that verse, my my mind goes to pierced through. Uh, It goes to scourging. By his scourging we are healed. I think about that he was crushed for our iniquities. But listen to this phrase again. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. The chastening, the punishment for our well-being, well-being is shalom. It is the punishment for our peace that he was punished for my peace. He was punished to make peace. The chastening of, for my well-being is the peace that is offered through the blood of Jesus, the peace offering. Well, let's look at it. Chapter three, verse one says, if his, peace, if his offering is a sacrifice of peace offerings, If he's going to offer it out of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without defect before the Lord. Look at verse six. If his offering for a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord is from the flock, he shall offer it male or female without defect. Verse 12, moreover, if his offering is a goat, he shall offer it before the Lord. And the point is, it could be male or female, bull, sheep, lamb, or goat, though it still had to be without defect. So whatever critter you brought of the ones listed, it had to be without defect because this offering, like all the others, points to the perfect Jesus. Can I just underscore for you one more time this morning that Jesus was sinless, that Jesus came and lived a perfect life, that regardless of the number of evangelical Christians who now reject that notion and think that Jesus actually sinned, which shocks and disgusts me, the truth is the Bible says he was sinless. A perfect man, the perfect sacrifice, his blood absolutely pure. First John chapter three, verse five, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. In him there is no sin. 
You can't say it any more plainly than that. So if you've ever wondered, did Jesus sin on earth? In him there is no sin. The Bible tells us God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Oh, so he did sin. No, he took your sin. He took mine. On the cross, he became sin. The peace offering in Jesus Christ. Verse two tells us he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and slay it at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood around the altar. And this is not unlike other offerings at the doorway. And as we pointed out Wednesday night, the offerer often was the one who offered the offerings. <laughs> That's a good sentence. At the doorway of the tent of meeting, the one bringing the offering didn't just drop it off and say, here you go, priesty, take care of it and go off to the lake or something. He did the offering. At the doorway, he did the slaying. So he's involved in it, part of it, at the doorway of the tent of meeting. But listen, like all the offerings, it reminds us that, man, to get past the door, to enjoy peaceful fellowship with God, there must be an offering of blood. Even to get past the doorway. Why? Because of the seriousness of our sin. If we just paid a fine for our sins, no big deal, like a traffic ticket, just pay up. If we had to stand in line to pay for our sins, okay, whatever. Even if you had to do time for sin, <laughs> it doesn't come close to the offense of sin against a holy God. And we talked about that last week. Leviticus 17, 11 says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Leviticus 17, 14, as for the life of all flesh, its blood is identified with its life. And when we talk about sin, brothers and sisters, it is a life and death issue. Sin is life or death. Sin is, if atoned for, if paid for, if expiated by the blood of Jesus, we come into eternal life. If that blood is rejected, eternal death. And so Leviticus chapter three, verse three goes on. From the sacrifice of peace offerings, he shall present an offering by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that's on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. This is repeated again in verses nine and 10, verses 14 and 15. God gets the fat. God gets the fat of this offering. It's so interesting to me. Why the fat? I mean, I guess that's nice. He, he takes the fat, and then the offerer gets the lean meat, the choice meat, the good stuff, the steak. God takes out all the fat. And clearly in our culture, we understand the oily fat is the least healthy part of the meal. It's kind of tasty, you know, when I was a kid eating Kentucky Fried Chicken, I didn't really care much for the chicken, but the skin, the oily, gross, greasy skin, <laughs> that was life to me. But God gets the fat. And again, we think of this in terms of, well, well he was protecting his people, right? Sounds like something God would do. Gracious, I'll take the fat, you get the good meat. 
But we gotta see this in the context of ancient Middle Eastern culture. Don't look at it from an American perspective. Oh, he takes the fat, we get the nice meat. Listen, all of these things, why would the Lord desire the fat of the entrails, the kidneys with their fat, and the lobe of the liver? And you gotta get inside to understand this. That all these things represent much more than simply fat. Kidneys in the Hebrew scriptures. The word is keliot. Keliot. From a Hebrew perspective, yes, it is kidneys. It is the word for kidneys, but it also speaks of the seat of emotion and affection, the heart, the mind, the soul, the core being of a person. Who you are. Your, your most inner being. And so Psalm 16, verse seven says, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night, but the word is kilyot, kidneys. Ever had your kidneys instruct you in the night? <laughs> Psalm 26, verse two. I'm not even gonna acknowledge that. Examine me. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. The word mind is kidneys. Test my kidneys. Okay? Psalm 23, verse 16. No, I'm sorry. Proverbs 23, 16. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. My kidneys will rejoice. Now, there's a weird one for you. If our kidneys did the rejoicing, we wouldn't have to wear masks at all during worship. <laughs> it speaks of the inner person. Turning your Bibles for a second over to 1 Kings chapter 8. Got to see something here. 1 Kings chapter 8. I'll wait for you because you're going to want to underline something. 1 Kings 8. What's going on here in 1 Kings chapter 8 is the inauguration of the first temple in Jerusalem. This is a big day. A long time coming. David's vision, David's desire, but Solomon's fulfillment as he saw the temple finally constructed there in Jerusalem. Big and beautiful, stunning in its appointments. And on the inauguration day of the temple, marvelous things had already happened. Well, Solomon is giving a benediction to the people. And in verse 61 of 1 Kings chapter 8, he says, Let your heart therefore be wholly devoted to the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as, it, as at this day. Now the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifice before the Lord. Verse 63, Solomon offered for the sacrifice of peace offerings, the peace offering, which he offered to the Lord, 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king... And all the sons of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. 142,000 animals, 142,000 peace offerings on that glorious, wonderful day. So what do you want me to underline, Rick? There's a wordplay going on here. There's a very interesting statement that's made. See, this is the Shalomim, verse 63, the peace offerings, the sacrifice of peace offerings, Shalomim in the Hebrew, Right? If you look back at verse 61, there is another phrase, let your heart therefore be wholly devoted. And the phrase wholly devoted is shalim im. Shalimim. Wholly devoted. 
peace offerings. Holy devoted peace offerings. I want, the Lord says, the innermost. I want the kidneys and the fat and the lobe of the liver, that which is innermost in your being, wholly devoted. Shalom im for the shalomim. And in Jewish thought, wholly devoted, the wholly devoted heart, the inmost part, that's the Lord's portion. That's what he wants. That's what is given to him. And again, in Hebrew thinking, that would make sense. Oh, that's why he wants the kiliot. He wants the kidneys. He wants the innermost. Because remember, while the offerings were physically for a reason, they were far more spiritually for a reason. They spoke truth. They taught the people of Israel. They were explanatory in in the giving. And so to give of the kidneys was to give of the innermost part, the wholly devoted heart to the Lord because to approach God with the peace offering is to enjoin the deepest part of the self. This isn't about paying for your atonement. This is coming into a peaceful unity with the Lord, coming into his presence. Brothers and sisters, if it doesn't come from the heart, it ain't worship. If it doesn't come from the innermost, deepest part, it is not thankfulness. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 18, Quoting Isaiah 29, 13, Isaiah prophesied it. Jesus said, we see this, I see this now. He said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. You know what God wants from you? Just your innermost being. The core of who you are. We would say the heart. He wants my heart. He wants my innermost. My whole devotion. It's nothing if it doesn't engage the heart. Now, note the description of how the peace offering is received by the Lord. If you look back at verse five of Leviticus chapter three, then Aaron's son shall offer it up in smoke on the altar on the burnt offering, which is on the wood that is on the fire. It is an offering by a fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. Look at verse 11. Then the priest shall offer up in smoke on the altar food, an offering by fire to the Lord. And look at verse 16. The priest shall offer them up in smoke on the altar, food, an offering by fire for a soothing aroma. All fat is the Lord's. And so we see two descriptions of the Lord receiving this offering. And the first is a soothing aroma, which I talked about Wednesday night. It pictures God as both pleased and satisfied. It's not that God's up there with holy nostrils going, like the smell that God has a thing for barbecue. No, it was pleasing to God because the offerings were given by faith and without faith, it is impossible to please him. What pleases him most is when his people respond to him in faith. The peace offering is an offering of response to the Lord, of thanking him for what you know that he's done. You take that by faith, you understand that by faith, and as that goes up, that's a soothing aroma to Jesus. A soothing aroma to God faith. He can smell our faith as it is offered up before him. Ah, my people, he says, my people are acknowledging their need. Ah, my people are drawing near to me in peaceful fellowship. So a soothing aroma. And the second description, which I really like, is just food. Food. This was offered up 
this particular sacrifice, the only one that's described this way, as food to the Lord. We would say, yeah, but it's just the fat. It was food to God. The word food is lechem. We also see it translated bread, bet lechem, house of bread, house of food. Lechem can be bread or food in the Hebrew scriptures, but what's really interesting to me is in Malachi chapter one, verses seven and 12, God refers to the altar as the table of the Lord, come to the table. The table of the Lord where God has his food. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 21, Paul repeats that, draws on that, saying you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So to come to the altar of sacrifice with a sacrifice was to come to the table of the Lord with food. You bring your part. It's Thanksgiving. What are you gonna bring? You bring to the table. And I love the picture because suddenly the peace offering gets completely different than all the others, intensely, mutually personal. Come to my table, the Lord says. What are you gonna bring to the table of the Lord? What food are you bringing to offer to God? And in verse 17 of Leviticus chapter three, it is a personal statute. No, I'm sorry, it's a perpetual statute. But it's personal. It's a perpetual statute throughout all your dwellings and all, all your generations and all your dwellings. You shall not eat any fat or any blood. Wait a minute, what does that mean? It means at home, stay away from the fat and blood. It means on a daily basis as you're dining in your home, remember this, that the fat and the blood still isn't yours still doesn't belong to you. At the altar, the fat and the blood are given as food to God. But with the peace offering, the offerer gets the choicest meat. But here's the implication. At home, don't eat the fat or the blood. In all your dwellings, for all your generations, don't do that at home. But when you bring the peace offering, you're going to give the fat and the blood to the Lord. You're going to get the best of meat. What does that mean? It means that with the peace offering, different than any other, while all the other offerings were given, the peace offering was shared. And I love this. The peace offering was shared. The burnt offerings went up in full, the whole thing, up in smoke. The grain offering went up as one portion was given to God on the altar, burned up, went up as smoke. The other portion, the remaining portion, was given to the priest, but not the people. No, you brought it and you gave it. The sin offering also was fully given. Part of it there on the altar, part of it taken outside of camp and burned up there. The guilt offering, guilt offering had a portion for the Lord that was offered up and then provision for the priest. But again, the offer didn't get any of it. Only the peace offering. And with the peace offering, the offerer is invited to come and share in the feast. The Lord's gonna get the fat portions. You get the good meat. It's November, right? Right, November 1st today? Wow. I'm already thinking about the turkey, just gonna tell you. The stuffing, the marshmallow yams, it's already on my mind. I'm already making inquiries at home. Who's gonna cook what and is it gonna be ready on time? You know, I'm looking forward to that day. Spread out on the table, November 26th. The peace offering was the first Thanksgiving. It's the first Thanksgiving meal 
where God says, I want you to come to my table and I want you to have some and I'm gonna have some and the priest is gonna have some. This is going to be thankful fellowship all together. Turn over to Leviticus chapter seven. Leviticus chapter seven, verse 11, where it's discussed again. Now this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, verse 11, chapter seven, which shall be presented to the Lord. If he offers it by way of thanksgiving, then along with the sacrifice of thanksgiving, he shall offer unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers spread with oil and cakes of well-stirred fine flour mixed with oil. So along with the meat, we got dinner rolls. With the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall present his offering with cakes of, note this, leavened bread. So you can have big, thick, good old bread of this he shall present one of every offering as a contribution to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offerings. Now as for the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering, it shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it over until morning. So no limitations. Understand this about the peace offering. No limitations. You could bring the peace offering anytime you wanted. Didn't have to be the third Thursday of November. You want to give thanksgiving to the Lord? Bring a peace offering. Any day, any time, as many times through the year as you want to just come and be thankful to the Lord and have fellowship with the Lord, it's a free will offering, so you can do it whenever you want. No limitations. Come and feast with the Lord. And no leftovers. Feast, sup, enjoy, get stuffed. Come with thanksgiving and enjoy the feast all day long. And when you've had your little nap, come right back, pop it in the microwave and have more. You just eat the feast and all day they would eat the feast, but they didn't eat it the next day. The whole idea was come to the Lord, offer your sacrifice of peace offering, and right then and there you enjoy it with God. You enjoy it with the Father. It's a shared meal of thanksgiving all together. Do you see the Father's heart in this offering? It's not drop off your offering and leave. It's no, no, stay. I'll have some and you have some. Let's dine together. Let's enjoy this meal together. Let's share thanksgiving fellowship together. What did the father do when the prodigal came home? Leviticus 15, 23, bring the fattened calf, kill it, let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate. That was a peace offering, my friends. A son reunited with his father, a son who the father, he'd already atoned for. He's just looking for the son to come home in repentance. The son is still repenting while the father's saying, kill the fatted calf. The son is still asking for forgiveness. The father's already moved on to say, feast and fellowship, celebration, thanksgiving, peace. I wonder how many times on the way home, and granted, it was a parable of Jesus, but think about this. If there was a true 
prodigal son coming home to the father, how many times on the journey home would the son think, I don't know if this is gonna go well. This could be a horrible argument. This could be a big fight. I could be at war with my dad. And he walks up and the father runs to him and there's peace. It's a meal, a celebration, a fellowship of peace. By the way, in Jesus' masterful parable, the older brother who was home all along had no peace. He was angry, striving, railing. Why did he have no peace? The answer is simple. He wasn't thankful. Where there's no thanksgiving, there is no peace. He wasn't thankful, he was resentful. And where there's resentful, there's gonna be strife. Where there's resentment. Where there's anger and again, mistrust. There will not be peace, which is why Paul writes 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See, thanks works on us. We thank him, we get peace. We're thankful, we are peaceful. There's one more thing to know about this peace offering. Turn over to Leviticus 22.21. Leviticus 22, verse 21 When a man offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a special vow or for a free will offering of the herd or the flock, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. So the peace offering also was a vow offering, a fulfillment of a vow coming in peace with the Father. I did, I did what I said I would do and, and I'm, I'm just so thankful now to be with you. Or it was a free will offering. As I said, you could bring it any time. It was free to the person just to bring whenever they wanted to. But verse 29 says, when you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it, note this, so that you may be accepted. Bring the meal so that you may be accepted. Years ago, we had some friends join us for Thanksgiving. They said they'd like to bring a traditional dish from, from their family. We said, sure, bring the traditional dish. They came in, enchiladas. Enchiladas. I'm like, that is not acceptable. Accepted? Wait, bring the thank offering because of what's already happened. You're thankful for atonement so you can be accepted. That, that sounds a little off. It, it sounds like an offering of atonement. Do it the right way. Do it. Bring this so that you can be accepted. Listen, the word accepted is ratzon in the Hebrew, and it means favored. It also translates an object of delight. What he's saying, hey, translation, the father delights when his kids come home for dinner. The father delights when they come home for that fellowship meal, especially when his kids were lost, but now they are found. And for our part, no doubt the Hebrew pastor had the peace offering in mind when he wrote Hebrews 13, 15, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. 
The beauty of this offering is there is a meal to be shared. There is a feast to share with God, to have in communion with the Father, the grateful heart of the forgiven and the redeemed. We come and we say, thank you, Lord. Our worship is a peace offering because we have peace with God. Now, I could go on for another hour talking about the Lord's penchant for food, family, and fellowship. And you know I could. About the intimacy, you know, of feasting with the Lord at the table of the Lord in the courtyard there of the tabernacle. We could talk about the blessing, make a connection all the way over to Revelation 19 of the marriage feast of the Lamb and how there's gonna be a feast. And we could talk about the feast in the kingdom when Jesus says, I'm gonna actually come up and serve you. There are all manner of feasts and picture of feasts in the scriptures. And we could talk about all of this and so much more, but we gotta come back to the core issue of what I think we need to here this morning, and again, it's that one word, peace. Peace. Because without peace, there can be no feast. There is no family. There is no fellowship. So turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five, verse one. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace. Are you at peace with God right now? See, there are really two options in the world. You can be at peace with God or you can be at war with God. And I know there are those who say, well, I've never been at war with God. I just really haven't, haven't ever really cared for him much. You're at war with God. No, I just don't involve myself with those church things. You're at war with God. You're standing in rebellion, outside of fellowship, pushing back against the offering of a father who says, come and fellowship with me in peace. I've done everything that is needed for you to come and have peace with me. And if we reject that, we are at war with God. But Paul says, having been justified by faith, that is faith in Jesus Christ, faith in the blood, we've been made Holy, we've been made pure by his work, having been justified. Now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Paul? What are you talking about, Paul? And in my relatively easy existence, tribulations has often seemed like a word that didn't really apply. And then life, life gets hard. And then the world gets weird. And then strife seems to fill a society. And suddenly I recognize the value of having peace with God. I have peace with God. And in that understanding, I stand in his grace and I'm in this place of peace. And therefore, Paul says, we can then exalt, verse three, in our tribulations. Knowing tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Understand, peace with God precedes all that. 
See, the Christian mentality sometimes is, I gotta go through uh, tribulation to get perseverance and then proven character and then hope in the love of God and then maybe down the line at some point I'll get peace. God says, no, I'm gonna give you peace. Therefore, when tribulations come, this is the end result. This is what happens in your life when you enter into these hard times, these difficulties, 2020, and you don't know what to do with it. Hey, you already have peace with God. Therefore, in your tribulations, perseverance will result in character and hope, which does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts, has been already. We already have the love of God through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In a word, peace. Peace with God. The impact of peace with God, don't miss this, is both eternal, we have peace with God in a spiritual sense, in an eternal sense, we're forgiven, we're redeemed, peace with God, but we also have peace with God immediately, that there is an impact right now. We have peace, you know, uh, of redemption, but it's immediate because now, because I have peace with God, I have immediate access to peace no matter what happens in the world, no matter what the world may bring or my life circumstances may be, I have peace with God. Regardless of any other difficulty or conflict I might have with any other human being, I have peace with God. That affects everything. Peace. Protests. I have peace. Pandemic, I have peace. Presidential election, I have peace. I'll put it this way. If you have peace with God abiding in you, <laughs> that peace will trump all other concerns. I had to go there one more time. <laughs> and I am serious about this because I know some of you in here probably are a little concerned about Tuesday. You're a little worried about the direction of the country. What's gonna happen? And as I said, be concerned, vote the Bible, stand up as a citizen, but don't forget you're a citizen of a better country. And you are the people of God, therefore we have peace with God, even in the most difficult of personal or cultural crises, peace. Peace with God does all of that. Oh man, I want that. How do I get that peace? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, he is the peace offering. He is the peace offering. Jesus is the soothing aroma of my faith. Jesus is the food. He found me in the blood. Colossians 1.19, it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness, that is of deity, to dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And it doesn't just stop there. Because we have peace with God, we can marvelously, wonderfully access the peace of God. I was looking at this and thinking about this and thinking, and we've talked about this before. And the Lord said, tell him again. Say it again. We have peace with God. Therefore, we have the peace of God. Philippians chapter four, verse six, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, 
Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is your innermost being. That I can walk in the peace of God because I have peace with God. Remember what we said earlier about the kiliot, the kidneys, the innermost being, that wholly devoted part of me. And you want to wake up Tuesday morning with a peaceful heart and peace of mind. If you have peace with God, you have the peace of God. And that's an offering worth sharing, an offering worth fellowshipping around. As Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body and I'll throw in and kidneys, your innermost being be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace. Wouldn't it be cool if we had a peace offering, a sacrifice of thanksgiving today. I'd love to have something like that. And we do. We do it every Sunday and every Wednesday here at the bridge. Of the five offerings of Israel, the Lord's Supper is the closest to the peace offering. This is the peace offering. This is our peace offering. We call it communion. It's also called the Eucharist, the Eucharisteo in Greek, the thanksgiving It's our thank offering. We even refer to it as the table of the Lord, which comes from the altar of the Lord, the place of sacrifice. We come to the table of the Lord. And just like the peace offering was not offered for atonement, we don't share communion to get saved. We take communion as our response to redemption. We have been saved. And so we share in that little wafer And we share in that little cup of juice, which is representative of the body and blood of Jesus that was offered for us. It's not re-offered again and again. And, you know, with, with all deference to my Catholic friends, it's not transubstantiation. Jesus is not being crucified again this morning. He was crucified. The offering was given once and for all. And now we come and we remember and we rejoice and we respond to our redemption. That's the peace offering. We're sharing communion because we have been saved and because we recognize with the deepest of thanksgiving that we have peace with God. We have the peace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus said, Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, while they were eating, he took some bread and after a blessing, he broke and gave to the disciples and said, take, eat, This is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Then he says, and I love this, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom, that day when we all share with the Lord the peace offering. peace. We're going to come to the table now. We're going to share in communion together. This is our peace offering. But as we do so, 
In some liturgical churches, the wafer, as it's handed out, the priests or pastors will, will say something to the effect of, the peace of Christ to you. The peace of Christ to you. I like that. The peace of Christ. But I'm just going to quote another scripture for us, and that is Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let's stand together. As we share in communion, and you are free to come to the table as you will, and for those of you at home, we, we've gone back to a, a practice prior to the live stream, and that is very simply that we're having the table set, and people can come to the tables, and so at home, you do this in your time. As the communion song is being sung together, you share in your family and in your living room uh, communion together, even as we're doing that here. But I want to tell you all this morning as we do this, and as you come to take from the table of the Lord, we'll also still have brothers and sisters up here to pray. And if you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, then you are standing outside of the peace that he offers, which is both eternal, as we said, and immediate. And if you desire peace with God and the peace of God, then I invite you to come and just give your innermost to the Lord. Give him your heart. Give him your life. Well, I'm not sure how to do that. That's, that's what my brothers and sisters are here for. You can pray to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior and enter into his peace right now here this morning. And even as the rest of us come and take communion, if anyone is struggling, striving, you're lacking peace, feel free to stop by and pray about that too. Father, we thank you for the peace that you offer. It is, Lord, almost indescribable to recognize that we have peace with our God. Peace through what our God has accomplished through what you did on the cross at Calvary. And we praise you and we thank you for creating peace with us that Jesus is our peace. And I pray, Lord, that now that we have peace with you, we might truly learn to walk in the peace of God. In Jesus' name, amen.